it's good to see everybody here. Happy Father's Day. Obviously, I am a woman. I am not a father, but I figured um, I would do this sermon today because I wanted to give my husband a break. Um, but also, t- uh, this year is the second year of my dad being gone and in heaven. And so, just I've been thinking a lot about you know, fatherhood, what makes a good father, and all that stuff. And I think, I feel like God just um, put what we're going to study on my heart. And so let us go before God in prayer. Jesus, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that you created us in your image and that you became the ultimate example of what a father is. God, open our hearts. Um, I pray for anybody here, Lord, who's hurting for their father, Lord, whether their father's still alive and just is not the best father or if their father's gone on, Lord, to, to the, the world after this one. Whatever the case, comfort us. I, speak, I, I pray that this, would, um, this word would find fertile soil in our hearts, God. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Okay, so first things first, um, I just want to say, because I can, happy Father's Day to this guy here. You have that picture? There we go. So, happy Father's Day, honey. Okay, so funny story. Um, when we, so, so two funny stories. They're, they're brief. So, so we have one daughter. That's it. She's our, um, she's our, um, she's our one daughter, and we tried for... I think five years to get pregnant. You know, who knew it would be that complicated? But we just had problems and issues and um, started to go down the IVF route. And so, um, anyway, so when we finally did get pregnant, I, I could have probably bought stock in the, the home pregnancy test because I was, every week I was like, am I pregnant, am I pregnant? So one day I did do the pregnancy t- test and it it came back positive. Yeah, yeah. I owe you. So, of course, after taking all these pregnancy tests, right, you're like, oh, negative, negative. Okay. And I was like, oh, it's positive, two stripes. What? What? So I called Josh in. I'm like, hey, why don't you come on in and look at this? He looks at it, right? We've been trying for five years. We had people telling us they, they had good hearts, but the dumbest things, like, you know, just everything from you want to have a baby too bad to maybe this just isn't what God has in mind for you. Like all the things, right? And they're like, here, eat these crazy spices and all this, all this thing, right? So we finally are pregnant, and I'm like, oh, this is it. Oh, my gosh, we're going to be parents. What? So I, <laughs> I call Josh into the bathroom, and I show him the test. And I swear, this is my Bible, this is truthful. He looked at it. He looked at me, and his eyes just got bigger. The only words that he could utter and form were, are you sure this is mine? <laughs> I was like, yeah, pr- pretty sure, pretty sure. We don't... Our, our, the, the post lady is a woman. We don't have a pool. We mow our own lawn. So yeah, we don't have we don't have milk service. So pretty sure it's your child, Josh. Okay. So then, also true story. Fast forward uh, to the, so the doctor I went to, my OBGYN was great. He was like, we're just 
And I look back on it now, and I know there's different opinions about it, but he was like, we're just going to induce you. And I was like, fine. And by the time I, because I was older when I got pregnant, so I think it was more like a little high, you know, high, um, high risk and stuff. So he was like, okay, we're just, this is what we're going to do. Well, by the time it came around to, you know, Sophia's due date, and for me to get, um, what's it called, induced, I was like, that's fine, that works out. I, you know, I was sick of peeing every two seconds, and I couldn't get off the couch. You know, I just, you do the scoot, the, you know, if you're getting up, right? Anyways, so I could not wait to get this baby out. I was so done. I, had, I, I, I couldn't wear normal shoes because my calves got huge. I had cankles, and anyways... And this, this, is our, this is our baby, right? This is, our, this is our, our, our promise from God. Well, so the day comes. We're supposed to check into the hospital at 9 in the evening. And then they were going to you know, check us in. I was going to get induced and start that whole process. Well, so we've packed our bags. And uh, we're ready to go. And Josh grabs me by the shoulders. He's like, can we just wait one more week? Just one more week? <laughs> Like, let's just do one more week. We'll just wait one more week. And I said, if I don't get this baby out of me tonight or tomorrow, somebody's going to die, and it's not going to be me. <laughs> so anyway, so he's like, are you sure? Just, just one more, one more week. I'm like, absolutely not. Anyways, so, so uh, Josh has turned out to be an amazing father, and um, he's had a great example in Pastor Larry, but he, he's also put his own spin on things. And so... Um, and I think this is, so, you know, moms, we tend to be more protective, right? And we want to kind of protect our, our kids. And dads tend to be, you know, more like, let's try it. Let's do knife throwing. Let that be fun, right? Let's, let's try it. And I just remember one year, um, for those of you guys that remember or know, like our daughter was in a wheelchair for a little bit. She had some neurological stuff going on. And um, so Josh took Sophia they went on a father-daughter date to go look at the super blooms, right? And so I'm like, that's great, you know, and I'm like, that's, you know, awesome. You're going to push her. They had a, they had a, it was a trail they had to go on, and there was just these fields everywhere of poppies and wildflowers. And um, I was like, oh, that's beautiful. So he's sending me all these cute pictures of them with the flowers, and then he sends me a video, and I just about pooped my pants because what they did was they hiked up to the top of this hill, in her wheelchair, she's in a wheelchair, and it's him releasing the wheelchair, and she's like, all right, I'm ready, give me a push, and all I see is her <laughs> going screaming down this mountain, I was like, oh my God, she's going to, oh, I can't watch, I couldn't watch the rest of the video, but anyway, so happy Father's Day to a dad who's done things his own way, and, and been a great dad in the process, so happy Father's Day, honey. Okay, so let's finally get into the word of God. Um, how many of you guys have heard about the prodigal son in Luke, that parable, right? Okay, we've all heard about it, grown up with it. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard it in Sunday school. Um, well, we're going to look at that today, um, but we're going to look at certain things about it um, that maybe we haven't noticed before and kind of hone in on that. So we all know it's called the prodigal son, right? And it's um, it's in or the lost son. Uh, in Luke 15, right, Jesus is, is he's speaking to tax collectors. So 15.1, he's speaking to tax collectors, sinners, <laughs> which is kind of like a broad. So if you didn't fit into the tax collector area or bracket, or, or, or you were part of the sinners. So that just encompassed everybody, right? 
Um, so he's speaking to these, these two groups of, groups of people, pretty much everybody, and also the Pharisees and the scribes in verse 2, okay? And he's, there's three parables in chapter 15, and they're all about lost things, right? The first one is about the parable of the lost sheep, right? Where Jesus is like, if I lose one sheep, I'll go after. How many of you guys saw that? It was, um, I probably spent too much time on Instagram, but in the, where there's a mother duck and she's swimming by the edge of some kind of like, it, I think it was like in a dam area, but like a waterfall. She's got all these ducks and one of the little ducks, one of her ducklings goes too close to the edge and goes down the waterfall. And there's people, you could hear them there recording, and they're like, Mama, get your baby, get your baby. And she's swimming around the edge trying to figure out what to do. Should she leave her other ducklings, you know, and go after this one, or should she make sure that these, the rest of these, don't go off the edge? And so she finally goes off the edge, and it was just such a beautiful, and you could hear people cheering. There were people from the banks that were watching. And anyways, it, it recalls this story of how Jesus is like, even if we get just one, I will go after the one, the one. So anyway, so that's what all this stuff is about, um, these parables, right? The lost coin, and then actually the lost son, the prodigal son, is actually about two sons, interestingly enough. But typically, um, we think about, you know, so prodigal, I always, and this is funny, because I used to be, I was an editor for 10 years, <laughs> and um you would think I would know about words, like what words mean. So I always thought the word prodigal meant, you know, somebody who leaves and then comes back. Well, I am a dork and <laughs> totally got that one wrong. Um, I looked it up. I looked up what the word prodigal means. How many of you guys know the meaning of prodigal? Anybody? There's no shame. Okay, Dana Forti. <laughs> Did you guys just do the prodigal too? Because I found the notes on here and I was, yeah, that's awesome. On Tuesday mornings. No, yes. No, no, not Tuesday mornings. Friday mornings, come to the Bible study, it's amazing. Friday mornings here. Anyways, so I looked up the word prodigal, right? And I, like, like I said, I thought it, was, it had to do with the idea of lost. What is lost comes back and you find it. Well, it doesn't mean that at all. Um, it actually means wastefully or recklessly extravagant. Uh, it means somebody who is wasteful of their money and their possessions. And that is certainly what we see in this story of the prodigal son, right? But did you know, some pastors and theologians have renamed this the prodigal father. Because prodigal also means lavish, right? Giving or yielding profusely, very generous, lavishly abundant, and that's kind of what I want us to hone in on. It, we're not taking scripture and, and twisting it to, to mean anything. In this story, and as I was thinking about this and preparing it and thinking about um, Father's Day message and all this stuff, I was thinking, man, why is it that God is presented as God the Father? There's three persons of the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But why is God the Father, why is he presented as a father? Has anybody ever wondered about that? I've, I've, I, I was just like, why? Why is it like this? Now, God is other things, right? And I know we've talked about this on our Tuesday night study, and we talked about it in the Shema study. God seems like he's an angry, spiteful, jealous God in the Old Testament. But here's the deal. That's not the full picture, okay? 
He is really a father. God set out to make the universe as a father. Not as he wasn't setting it up as a corporation or as a business venture or I am the king and you're my servants. It was a, it was it's a family business. And I think that it's from the foundations of the world that God laid. That's his intention that we would be a family. All right. So let's look at some of this stuff. Well, actually, let's read. If you got your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen, or you can go ahead and look at it in your phones or your Bibles. Let's read Luke 15, 11 through 32. All right. All the tax collectors and sinners, I just love that. I think it's just funny. Everybody. So that's pretty much everybody, right? All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, Jesus, Verse 2, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. Oh, that's funny. That's weird. <laughs> they were complaining. Um, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Verse 3, so he told them this parable. What man, oh, sorry, just kidding. Sorry, you guys, skip ahead to um, 11. We're going to start there. All right, so we're going to hit the reset button. Okay, so Jesus just jumps into the story. So chapter 15, Luke 15, verse 11. He also said, now what's interesting is when it says he also, this parable of the lost son ties into the previous two. God's continuing a, a thought here. Jesus, when he's speaking, is like, here's more information on the same topic, okay? So verse 11, he also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he, that's the father, distributed the assets to them. Uh, verse 13, not many days later, the young son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. So he blew all of his money. He had no more resources left. Um, verse 14, or verse uh, 15, then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. Okay, this is a Jewish kid working with pigs. So this son is like quadruple contaminated and gross, okay? Because he's gone and he's, th this, this father is a nobleman. He's got livestock, he's got, servants, he's got land, he's got it all. He's a person that is in high standing in his community, and yet the son decides to go, and the, when it says that um, he went to go work for one of the citizens of, the, of that country, in the Greek, it's this idea of, um, like, you kind of, you glue yourself to that person. So he has separated himself from his father, and he's become glued to this, this pig farmer guy, which is very interesting, okay? So in essence, the son has given up his birthright and decided to align himself with this pig farmer, which this is a theme we see throughout Scripture, right? We see this with uh, uh, Jacob and Esau, right? Esau sells his birthright as the oldest son for porridge. What, something else looks tastier and better. I'm going to give up God's best for me. Uh, peace out, right? God, this looks better over here. I'm going to go for this. Thanks. All right. <clears throat> so, okay, so we're going to finish 15. 
Um, 16. He longed to eat his fill from the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. Can you imagine being so hungry? Okay, so most of my Instagram account accounts are dog rescues, possum rescues, and like other like other animal rescues, like these people that have farms, right? And um, just you know, there's one that's really cool called Huckleberry Farms, which is really awesome. Um, anyways. And then, yeah, so I've watched on multiple times where people are talking about how they rescue these animals, right, and they bring them in and what they feed them. And I'm telling you, the feed that they give these animals doesn't look appetizing. It looks really disgusting. But even at that, this son is starving to death. He is malnourished, and he is starving, and he's so hungry that the pig slop looks amazing and appetizing. Just let that roll around in your head. For him to get to that place, where, where do you have to come from? What state of mind do you have to be in where you're like, that looks tasty, I want some of that. All right. Uh, verse 17. Uh, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. Verse 18. I'll get up. Go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, which is a way of saying God. I have sinned against God. And in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. Okay, so he's got this. He comes to his senses, and he's got this. He's like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back home with my tail between my legs. He is, he's probably malnourished and doesn't look right. He's probably disgusting, got stuff underneath his nails, stuff stuck in his head, probably pig poop dried all over the place, okay? But he's like, I'm going to go back to my dad. Here's my pitch for him to take me back, right? Dad, if I do this, it's kind of like he's like, I'm going to make this transactional. If I do this for you, you'll take me back, right? Is that a good agreement? That's a good arrangement? All right, so verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. And I love this part. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. The rendering in English sucks. <laughs> um, let's finish reading the verse. Uh, he ran, this is the father, ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The English sucks because you just think of like, oh, when you see somebody, oh, Kisses, hi, good to see you. But the idea here in the Greek is that this father is, is trembling with emotion. And he can't stop hugging and kissing and basically smothering his son. Um, so years ago when we lived in our, our house on G Street, woot woot, in Ontario. <laughs> um, we, Liz and Lalo, Aritiaga, are you guys here? Where are you at? Yeah, okay. So... Our kids were the same age, Sophia and Abigail, and so they used to just, you know, Abigail would run over to our house, and they'd play at our house, and Sophia would run over to their house and play. So it wasn't a big deal. This one day, though, Sophia was like, I'm going to go over to Liz and Nolos, and, and I think I was outside gardening or something, or I don't know, doing stuff. So I was like, you know, we'd holler at each other over the fence. Hey, Sophie's coming over. Or Liz would be like, hey, Abigail's going to come over. Okay, great. Well, so Sophia was like, I'm going to go see if Abigail wants to play. Okay. So she runs over, and she comes back. She's like, I knocked on the door. Nobody came to the door. And I'm like, okay, maybe you can check later. But meanwhile, let's get some of our chores done. 
So we're doing stuff, and then all of a sudden I notice there's no Sophie. And so Josh is in the garage doing dude stuff, <laughs> um, cutting something or using the wrench on something. And so I'm like, you know, it's been quiet. It's been too quiet. You know, as parents, you're like, when it's quiet, you're like, that, that's, hmm, hmm, something's not right, right? So I'm trying to get stuff done, but I'm kind of like, it's nice not having a, somebody running through the house, like dropping stuff or trying to get into stuff. So, but I'm like, hey, it's too quiet. What's going on? So I go out to Josh. I'm like, hey, is Sophie out here with you? And he's like, no, no, I thought she was inside with you. I said, I don't think so. So we stop what we do, we're doing. And we start going through the house systematically, and we're checking all the closets. We are, we are emptying out, you know, everything from the closet. We are opening, like, the laundry thing. We're checking everything. Just, it looked like our house had gotten ransacked. And we can't find Sophia. And at this point, and we had also, the, our, our, our house was on a busy street. And so we're like, mm, okay, let's not, let's not immediately jump to the worst, right? So we're like, okay, let's just, so we, we, do a, we do a sweep again because Sophia also liked to hide from us and give us heart attacks. So we're like, we, so we were flipping mattresses because that was her level of commitment. She's like, I'm, I'm not going to come out even when you're crying. So we give it another, you know, 20, 30 minutes, and we're, we're just, we're finally like, she is not in this house. Like, where is she? So... We're kind of like, oh, and I can't remember if we texted Liz and Lola. I forgot what, but we're, in our head, we're like, she couldn't have gone over there again or asked because she had already gone over there and nobody was home. And so we are just, so I, at this point, Josh is like, we just need to call the cops. And I was like, oh, I can't, how did we get here, right? I'm just like, oh. And so... So we're, sh we're screaming. We're walking up and down the street, too, and we're like, Sophie, Sophie, where are you? You know, like, and um, so finally, he's like, we need to call. Just call the cops. And so I dial in 911, and um, all of a sudden, Sophia pops out of the Arteaga's house, and she's like, were you calling me? And so what we did was I forgot to hit the send on 911. We just both threw our phones down, and she's, and we're in the middle of our front yard, and we just both collapsed on her, and we just started sobbing and smothering her and kissing, ugly snot coming down. Our eyes are just bawling. I'm sure everybody driving by thought we were nuts. And she had just, what, she, what had happened was she had popped back over there, and I, I guess they had gotten home in between, but she didn't think to tell her parents, I'm going to pop back over and see if Abigail is home to play with Abigail again. Anyways, we are just not letting her go. We're suffocating her with love. We can't stop kissing her and holding her. We're getting our nasty, ugly, crying snot all over her. And she's like, okay, okay, right? But we're like, no, we're not done yet. This is your punishment. <laughs> that is the picture here when the son returns. The father is beside himself excited and relieved and just overwhelmed. And he cannot... The, in the Greek, it's this idea he's smothering his son with love and affection, okay? So that's, that's what we got going on here. All right, so uh, let's finish reading this. All right, so then uh, 21. So this, the son hasn't even been able to articulate his speech, right, his pitch. Like, take me back. This is what I'll do. Can you do this for me, okay? All right, um, 22. 
But the father told his slaves, so the father's like, don't speak anymore, right? So the father says, uh, 22 here, told his slaves, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him, being the son. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Verse 23, then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Verse 24, because the son of mine was dead. I hope that is Jesus. Is that Jesus calling? I hope that's Jesus. Uh, Verse 24, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. All right, I am not going to read 25 for time, but basically 25 on is this the oldest son who's like, what about me? I never ran away. You never threw me a party. What about me? You got to run away to get a party. Is that it? So let's just go over some things. So that's not what I want to focus on. Um, Also, the oldest son, and I'm an oldest sibling, so I get this, right? Like, you do everything right. You do it right, right? You do it right, you play by the books, and then your youngest sibling gets rewarded because they took out the trash once or something. You're like, oh! So I, but also the, the oldest son represents the Pharisees and the scribes who are like, we have committed our life to memorizing your law, God, and doing everything you know, by the book, and yet God, you, you know, Jesus, you're fellowshipping and breaking bread with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. What's up with that? That's not fair. Okay. All right. Here's what I want us to look at real quick. First of all, this son who runs off, when he tells the father, I want my inheritance, to our Western ears, that just sounds super like, all right, give me what's mine, right? But in this culture, in this Mid-Eastern, ancient Near Eastern culture, that was, there was nothing more disrespectful that the son could have said to his father. Because in essence, what the son is saying is, you are worth more to me dead than you are alive. You're more valuable to me dead because of what I can get out of you when you die. And I just, I think that, especially because we see the son's reaction when he comes back, right? But the father's reaction, which should have met the son, he was, the father was well within his rights to be like, I, you are cut off from this family. You are excommunicated. You are, goodbye. You are cut off from everything. But instead, the father opens up his arms, and he welcomes his son back, right? All right. Is that, is that the, does that make it? Because I was like, I'm ADHDing all over the place. All right. Um, okay, so then another thing, too, is when the son did this, right, because of who the father was, everybody in the area would have known who this was and what was going down, okay? Everybody knew so the father is shamed because of his son's actions. And can you imagine the talk among the town? What kind of person are you? You need to show your son who's, who's the boss, basically. And you can't let him disrespect you like this. Your son probably deserves to be put to death is what is, what is fitting. And yet we see how the father reacts. All right, so... 
The other thing, too, is when the son says, I want my inheritance, what the father has to do is he has to sell his land, part of the land that they're um, doing, you know, agricultural work on to earn a living. So when the son says, give me my inheritance, the father has to sell part of the land, which is basically income for the family. So the son is taking away from the family as well. The father's like, all right, I will give you what is yours. All right. The other thing I want us to look at is, do you see in verse um, 20 and how his father reacts, right? How his father is filled with compassion. Okay, verse 20. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. Okay, so we think that, right? In our culture, right, we wear jeans all the time, shorts, right? But in this culture, you wore, you know, like caftans and robes. In order to run, you had to hike up your skirt, or not your skirt, your robes, right? Your robes. So if you were running, you wouldn't trip. The father has to hike up his robes so he can run and go meet his son. And maybe to our ears, we're like, okay, who cares, right? Here's the deal, in doing that, that was, you just didn't do that in this culture. Because it was it's so undignified. And the father probably exposed his underwear too. I mean, it wasn't all the way up here, they had long underwear, right? But that was still, it was like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? You're becoming undignified to go meet your son who has totally slandered your name and disgraced your name. And you're, you're, you're just... You're so happy to see him. This is how you're acting. But the father does that. Not only does he lift his skirts up or his, his robes up to go run after his son, he runs. And maybe in our culture, we're like, big deal. Who cares? If you were over 40 in this culture, you did not run. Because your job as a patriarch was to look regal and to act regal. To run was beneath your calling. And yet the father doesn't care, right? He's like, I'll, I'll flash people. I don't care. I want to get to my son. That's the only thing that matters for this father. And I think it is such a beautiful picture. The other thing I want us to notice is, you ever thought about this? How, how did the father know? How could the father see? And, and commentators say that the son probably wasn't, when the father noticed the son, the son wasn't just walking up the ranch driveway at all. The son was way off on the hills. And the father spied him and saw him. He's like, that's my son. I can tell because of his walk and his gait. That's him. It's because the father was watching for him. Day in, day out, he was watching for his son. That's the heart of the father. He wasn't like, I'm going to set my guards on a perimeter, and when you see my son, shoot him. He didn't do that. He could have. He would have, he would have been in his right to do that. But instead, the, and what's interesting is the father himself is watching for the return of his son. It's not, it's not the servants that see the son. It's the father. And I think that is such a powerful statement even when we come to, to God, right, we come to faith in Jesus, like, we can, we can go off and do our own thing. God's like, I give you free will. You can go do your own thing. 
But you know what? The father's always watching. His heart is to have his family together because he's a good father. That's his heart. Yes, he's a just God. And he's like, yeah, you, um, you did these things. There's got to be some kind of, you know, punishment for it. But his heart, God doesn't, doesn't get his... <laughs> He doesn't get his jolly, I'm going to put it in this really crass way. He doesn't get his jollies by punishing his kids. Because he's not, that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is a good father. And he's like, I want to restore. I'm into restoration here. And I, I just, I think, you know, just, so let me tell you another story. Bless you. There is a, I was uh, scrolling through all of my, Awesome rescue accounts and animal rescue and dog rescue accounts on Instagram. And this, um, there's this guy that I follow. His name is Victor Marks. And he, he's a Christian. And he posted this story about this guy, this older guy who was driving in Florida. And he was like, okay, God, if you want to use me today, fine, use me. But I don't, I don't want to pick up anybody that I don't know or do anything like that, you know. So he's driving on this road in Florida and he notices a hitchhiker, and he feels God just poke him, be like, "That's I want you to stop and talk to this guy and pick him up. And this guy was like, no way, no way. I said, no hitchhikers, God. And so God's like, no, 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 I want you to stop, pick him up. So he does a U-turn, he comes back, and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm not, I just want to let you know I'm not, not a creeper, but it looks like you are hitchhiking, you need a ride. Come on, get in, where can I take you? And then... He's thinking that that's his good act. Like, that's what God wants him to do is just give this guy a ride. And then God pokes him again, and he's like, it's funny because he's like, I'm arguing in my head with God. God, I did my good deed. I picked this guy up. And God's like, but I want you to talk to him about me. Ask him if he knows me. And he's like, I picked him up. That was, that was my good deed for the day. And God's like, no, 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 no. I need you to ask him if he knows me. And so he's like, I, uh, <laughs> he's like trying to get it out. He's like, do you know, do you know God? Do you, what do you, and all of a sudden this guy just loses it. And so the, the driver that's picked him up, he's like, oh, great. Thanks, God. This is wonderful. But this guy, that's all he said. Do, do you know God? You know, after they do some initial chit chat, hi, my name's so-and-so. And the guy just starts bawling, like ugly crying. And he's like, I have to let you know, I was walking, I'm at the end of my rope with my life. And I said, and he was into weird new age crap, right? So but he was like, God, if you're really out there and you're up on your heavenly seat, how about you send me one of your weirdos <laughs> to witness to me? You, if you really care, how about you send me somebody? And that somebody was this guy that stopped. And I just think it shows, it illustrates so perfectly. And of course, I mean, that was an awesome, like right there, they pulled over on the side of the road, and this, the driver led him to Jesus and stuff. And I just think that shows the heart of the Father. If we cry out, whether we don't, whether we're doing new age stuff or whatever, right? Or we are seasoned saints, and we're like, God, where are you? God's like, my heart is to have you drawn to me. I want my family together. And I just, I just, I love that. Okay, let me get to one more. Oh, holy caca, the time just goes by when you're having a good time, right? In God's word. All right. 
let me just show you something real quick that we're going to, I'm going to hone in on this, this uh, one point. Notice in verse, I think it's 17, all right? Um, actually, let's go to 16. This is the son. Um, he, the son, so uh, 15, 16, Luke 15, 16, he longed to fill, to eat his fill from the carob pods. The pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. So this guy's so poor, like he's blown all of his money, obviously. He doesn't have any more money. He's not the big spender anymore, right? Um, he can't even, nobody will even give him money to buy pig feed, that, okay? Um, verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. All right, here's the deal. So finally, right, he, so he's starving. This guy's starving. He's probably malnourished, hasn't had a decent meal in forever. He can't even, he, he's so poor, he can't even afford pig slop. And so he finally gets home, and his father throws an epic party and a feast that involves everybody. It's not just the family. It's not the family compound. It's the whole town. And so he gets his fill and he eats. They have the fattened calf, right? Okay, here's the deal. The son, right, decides, when it says and it, he went off to a distant land, he broke off fellowship. He left his father's land. He left his father's covering. He broke off fellowship with his father because the distant land looked more tantalizing. Greener pastures over there is more exciting. There's more going on. But you know what? He was getting fed for a while, right? And it was filling his stomach up. But he ends up starving in this foreign land. The only time he gets fed is when he comes back home and he eats at the father's table. The father's food is what refreshes him and brings him back to health. The son, the son tried his own means. He tried to fill himself, and he couldn't do it. He starved. He ended up starving. Bless you, or hiccup you, whatever. And I think we see this image in a, you know, this idea, this, this storyline in Genesis with Adam and Eve, right? They eat from the tree they're not supposed to, Right? And then, you know, it says, the text in Genesis says, they knew they were naked. Well, it was more than just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> they were aware of their sinfulness before God. That's what the nakedness is. They're like, oh, we are, we are standing naked literally before a holy God, naked in our sin. And so what do they try and do? They try to remedy the situation, right? They try and make these janky fig leaf things, right, that fall apart and don't cover everything right. And so what does God do? God has to come in. This is the first time an animal is killed in the Old Testament. It is a, it is a type of foreshadowing. It's a blood sacrifice. God kills the animal, and from this dead animal makes clothing for Adam and Eve. They couldn't fix it themselves. They tried, but it didn't cover, it didn't cover their sin, did it? 
And it's the same thing that we see here. Only the Father's provision, only the Father's love, and ultimately the sacrificial death of Jesus on the, Christ, uh, on the cross can cover us, can feed us, can nurse us back to health. Can I have the band come up, please? What I want us to get, if nothing else, out of this is that... W- We all come from different walks, right? Josh was raised with a great dad. Larry was an amazing father. I had a great dad towards the end of my life. And and everything in between, right? Maybe some of you weren't even raised with a father in the house. But God steps forward and he says, I am the original father. It's not like we had Adam and Eve and we're like, oh, okay, Adam's a good model of what a good father looks like. No, it started before that with God. God said, I am the good father. I am going to make a family, and this is what it's going to look like, and I'm going to be a good dad. I'm going to feed you and take care of you and clothe you. You get free choice, and if you choose to hang out with me, this is what it looks like. And I, I think this story, we're going to actually get into this in the Old Testament, or in, the, in the Glory Bible study, but you know, I, I know it's easy to, whatever we think of God is how we, we live our lives, right? So if we feel like God is this angry, spiteful God from the Old Testament who's waiting for me just to step a toe out of line, right? Well, I'm going to act in fear. And I'm going to be like, oh, don't slap me upside the head, God. I'm sorry. I blew it, right? But you know what it says in the New Testament? You know what this story screams? It says, We are children of a God who loves us. He is a good father. It says perfect love casts out fear. If we walk in that love, we're not going to be like, oh, God, don't, please don't hit me. Don't browbeat me. I'm sorry I messed up. That's not what walking in love looks like. Um, Years ago, I used to get back procedures and there were a couple times, I said I have to have a driver because they would knock me out. And then I'd wake up in recovery. And a couple times, Josh couldn't do it because he had to take Sophia to school and then he would come to the hospital. But in order to get started on the procedure, like, I'd have to have a driver. So it was my dad. And um, I remember a couple times when I would wake up, my, and I've shared this before, I'd, I'd wake up, and I'd usually wake up crying because it would just, I'd wake up and just, feel all the pain and all that fun stuff, right? And anesthesia and you feel wonky. And I would feel, I'd cry and I'd be like, oh, you know. And um, I would feel my dad's rough, he used to work produce for decades, he, and he had rough, cracked hands. But I'd wake up, I'd feel him squeezing my hand. I'd be like, Mako, it's okay. You're okay. I got you. I got you. And I'd kind of be like, oh. And then I'd ask the nurse to give me more payment. <laughs> but we serve a good father. And he is like, you may be going through stuff, or you feel like I have forgotten about you, or you've wandered so far away, you've gone to such a distant land that you are not redeemable. But God's like, I am I personally am watching for your return. I am watching to see when you step foot back on the land. 
and I am waiting to run after you and ugly cry and get my snot all over you because I am so excited about the one and I love my children dearly. And I think if we keep that in our head and maybe we've got stuff that we need God to clear away, break down, images of fatherhood that we just need to have God decimate it and instead replace it with the fact that he's a good, good father. He's a loving father. What the son should have gotten was death. And the father would have been well within his right to berate the son, humiliate him, punish him, but he didn't. He embraced him and he threw a party. And that's not to say that there's cheap grace. But when there is genuine repentance and we're in such a hot spot that we can't get our stuff together, God's like, I got you, come back. I'll cover you with my very own robe. I will feed you. I will nourish you back to health. That's the kind of God we serve. All right. Everybody get your communion cups. need one, raise your hand. We got somebody on the end here. Let's see. Can somebody get Michael one? Pretty pleased by the poll. Keep your hand raised, Michael. There we go. So God was so interested. God the Father was so interested. I think we got somebody here too at the end. Thank you guys. God was such a good father, is such a good father, that he didn't want one person to not live with him. But in order to do that, humanity had to be reconciled to God. Because Adam and Eve, you know. And so God the Father sent his son, who said, I will pay the price to bring everybody back else into the fold. And so we're going to eat our Lord, thank you for the body that was broken and bruised on the cross. That once and for all, God, you paid the, the, the ultimate price, Jesus, by the breaking of your body. It was bruised and torn up. Thank you, God. And Jesus, thank you for the blood that was spilt, your precious blood. There really is life in the blood. The blood reconciles us to Jesus and lets us be once again sons and daughters of the Most High King. So we can run up to him and say, Abba, Father, He's like, come on in, come on in. There's always more room at my table. So Jesus, thank you for your spilt blood, that this gives us interest to, to sit at the table with the Father. I have the ushers come forward. We're going to receive the offering. God, 
you have given us everything. You gave everything of yours, your most precious thing, God. You gave your son to die on the cross for us, to redeem us, and we thank you for that. God, we choose to put your mark on our finances, and we give it back to you, Jesus, a thousand times. Take this offering, God, and use it to multiply the kingdom of heaven, to, to establish the kingdom of heaven here on earth, God. We give to you joyfully and say thank you for first giving to us. We cannot outgive God. Amen? All right. Let's take the offering and enjoy some worship music. person in here and every person listening online is not going to be like, what? Who are you? Are you mine? Are you sure I'm the father? God doesn't have any. He's, he's, he wants every person on the face of the earth to be his child. And I just pray that anything that we do to try and fill up that spot of relationship, right? Whether it's going off to distant lands and trying to break bread with people and things that we have no business doing, that is always going to starve us in the end. The only thing that will fill us up is fellowship, is breaking bread with our good, good Father. 
So Jesus, I pray every, over every person here. Heavenly Father, I break off any mindsets, any feelings of being orphans. We break it off in the name of Jesus. You are the ultimate good, good Father. Like we just sung about, you know what we need before we even speak it, God. And you are watching for us before we even decide to turn around and come back home. God, we celebrate fathers today, and in doing that, we celebrate you as our ultimate father. God, I pray a special blessing on every person here, that they would feel the smothering love of our Heavenly Father. Go with God. Have a great day celebrating your dads. We love you guys. Thanks for sharing part of your day with us. God bless, guys. You are perfect. You are perfect.